Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. And today we're talking about disaster planning. You know, our tagline is to talk a lot about sunshine, but sunshine has a downside, particularly when there's very dry forest nearby. Yes, we, uh, you know, as soon as the snow starts to melt, all of us uh, turn our thoughts to, okay, what's this summer going to be like? Uh, Because certainly uh, Eastern Washington has been hit with numerous, very devastating wildfires over the last few years. So yes, sunshine does have its uh, downsides every once in a while. But I think on your side of the mountain, there's the whole big earthquake fear, right? There absolutely is. We're supposed to have stockpiles of water and closed by the front door and all sorts of things because the next big one is coming any day and it has been for about two years or three years or five years or 10 years. I don't even know. Um, And, you know, COVID took us completely by surprise. Like, you know, here we talk about natural disasters, but then there's these human or biological disasters that that also um, we weren't prepared for. And many of us were taken by surprise you know, so we we see that we're surrounded by examples of disasters for which we need to get ready. But getting ready seems to be so hard. Why is it so hard? Oh, it is hard. I mean, part of it is because it's it's not the thing that's most pressing at the moment, right? I mean, it's hard in our personal lives too to think about disaster planning. How many times were you told to create the fire plan for your family? You know, how to leave their house, and you think, "Oh, I'll do that another day." Um, and I think the same thing is true in our organizations. There's always something more pressing at your nonprofit organization, and yet <laughs> this is probably one of the more important things you could do for your organization. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's time is is a challenge, but also nonprofits have this dispersed responsibility. Like ultimately who is in charge? Is it the executive director? Is it the the board? You know, what if you have an all-volunteer organization? We have this dispersed responsibility, which means really nobody's in charge. Exactly. And that can make figuring out what to do when times are stressful all the more stressful on your organization. And we also think about the emotions. You know, when I say disaster planning, what emotion occurs to you? Oh, fear, dread, like, oh, no. Um, You know, and as an organization that has had to implement a disaster plan that we didn't actually have. So we made one up on the fly because of wildfire. It also even talking about it now brings up a level of anxiety and stress for me. I know I feel it's and it's overwhelming. It's just, you know, where do I begin? It's this disaster planning, this blob sitting in front of us. Like, how do I start? Well, so this conversation that Sarah and I are having is a preview into a new set of resources on disaster planning for nonprofits. We'll be leading a workshop on this at the Central Washington Conference for the Greater Good later in in April 2021. We're teaming with NPIP to make sure these resources are available for small nonprofits in our region. So we'll make sure that the link to that is in the show notes. But All of this comes just in time for wildfire season and getting ready for earthquakes and all those other things we need to be thinking about. And so I think we'll start today with my acknowledging that for many of our listeners, I suspect you don't have a disaster plan in place. And I want to empathize and be right there with you. Um, My organization absolutely did not have one. And we were faced with needing to evacuate our office and our 
communities, many of us needing to evacuate our homes during a wildfire several years ago in eastern Washington. And it was a real wake-up call to realize how many steps uh, and things to think about, really simple things to think about that there are, that would be much easier to think about in a time of calm. So when we're talking about a disaster plan, we don't need to think of something that's wildly beautiful and you know you're not going to get this bound and copied and handed out to people it's it's a simple document that actually hopefully lives in multiple places so that you can access it in any time of a disaster with multiple people to reflect that dispersed responsibility and it doesn't necessarily have one set of features for every organization. There's no one size fits all for this. There are different types of disasters, right? There's disasters when you have to literally leave your building and maybe your employees or volunteer board members are having to leave their homes where important pieces of work happen. That's different from when it's a disaster where your best bet is to stay home. It's different whether it's a disaster that's impacting your whole community because often then the expectation on you as an organization to respond is different. Then if it's a, a disaster that just happens in your own building, you know, a pipe can burst and ruin your building or all of your documents and you have to respond and no one else in the community is thinking that that's happened to you. Very, very different circumstance. So there's no one disaster plan that works for everyone because we all face unique challenges and we all have unique needs uh, in our in our work and in, in how we make our mission happen. But it all starts, and, and Nancy will get into this a little bit more, it all starts with being really mindful of what your purpose is, no surprise there on the nonprofit radio show, and thinking about how will we keep that core purpose functioning in the time of a disaster. And then it all depends on just being really clear about who is going to do what. Absolutely. It is so true. So let's dig into this. Like, Let's dive into the parts of a disaster plan. And, you know, you you alluded to earlier that exercise that many of us has have done. And that is, you know, if I gave you 10 minutes to gather things before you evacuate your home, what would you gather? And we often think about, okay, well, there's the financial stuff. There's, you know, get my checkbook or my credit cards or whatever. There's the personal documents, the graduation certificates and and birth certificates and passports, things like that, right? And then there's the sentimental things, the photo albums and all those kinds of things. And for, for nonprofit organizations, it's similar, that, that it's almost identical in the sense that there are those financial documents, there are the legal documents or the certifications that you have, and the sentimental things that you want to make sure you hold on to. So disaster planning, let's just break it down. It has three main parts. That first part is documenting, and that is just writing stuff down in an accessible place. So all that information you have, you know, staff addresses or phone numbers or key contacts or vendors or volunteers or whatever, just capturing all that information and writing it down. And as you said earlier, keeping it in multiple places. Yes. And that is so important, Nancy, because I have played the game in my head, even at my office. It's like, what would we need to do if, if we left? But having actually been in the experience of being told to evacuate my home, I can tell you that if it's not written down in the moment that you're told to do that, you forget everything. And, and I stood just frozen in my living room and I suddenly couldn't think of anything I needed to take with me. And then it switched to, I should take everything with me. And it was just <laughs> this kind of pendulum back and forth panic, right? Whereas 
if you write it down and multiple people have it, then it's like, okay, I know what to do. And you can just let the adrenaline kind of be the adrenaline and you just go into doing mode. And I don't think we should ever underestimate how important that is in a, in a moment of panic. I think you're absolutely right. We can assume that our emotions are going to be an overload. So what can we do now to help our brains overcome our hearts? And I, I want to pick up, Nancy, on your thought that there are these different types of documents you might want to keep or find or put on your list, um, whether they're documents or physical objects or, you know, whatever. But I I love that you added in the sentimental ones. So I think most checklists that you find out there will remind you, you know, make sure you have a copy of your 501c3 status and your latest financial report and a backup of your QuickBooks or whatever it is, you know, things like that, of course. And you, and you want to have those on your list, but it's also, I think so important since what we do is build movements and share values with people in the community that we also think about, are there are there any precious photos or precious documents, you know, notes someone has written or precious object for your organization that, that you want to be sure is on that list too? Because those things are important to carrying forward your organization no matter what happens. Yeah, you don't need to let your whole history go up in smoke in the case of a wildfire. You can digitize those photos and 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 do that in advance. Well, so that brings us to our second step here and that is really to gather. So you've documented everything. That's great. Now let's gather other things and put it all together in a place often it's on the cloud, but it's it can also be in a, you know, one of those rubber-made boxes with a handle that you carry from place to place. Like put it Put things in a place that you will be able to access should a disaster happen. And frankly, put it in two places. I heard about, you know, flooding in New Orleans during Katrina and everybody, you know, this one nonprofit put everything into one place and it was in one of those Rubbermaid things with a handle and that house flooded. So Murphy's Law says trouble will happen. Put it in two places. Absolutely. Absolutely. And make sure, again, in your written plan that is saved in multiple places, you remind everybody where all those places are. It's really, it's really disaster planning is often the most simple things. You know, you spoke at one point, Sarah, about, you know, in this document gather these steps, you had the great idea of walking around your office with a video camera or even just an iPhone taking pictures. What was that? How did you do yeah. that? Yeah. So that was another idea, you know, um, borrowed from my homeowner's insurance who recommended that you do that at home, you know, to take a take a walk around just with your iPhone or your other phone video um, and just say what you're looking at. This is a a painting on my wall done by so-and-so. Here's a stereo from whatever brand. Here's a whatever. Yeah. And so doing that in your office is also a great thing, especially, or, or your building. If you um, provide services for clients in your building, you're going to want to have an inventory. It's the fastest way to have an inventory and a great project to give to someone to go do. Okay. Go, go around and save this and then tell us where you're saving it <laughs> and we'll save it in two places. It's a wonderful way to remember what you have. That's a great idea. So the third step is actually planning. And by this, we don't mean just writing a plan, but this is scenario planning. This is taking the various permutations of a disaster. So we have a wildfire where we need to evacuate and we have to stop services for a week or something like that, where you actually do a short-term, long-term continuity of operations plan. That's kind of a big term. Like when I started this work, everyone was like, well, where's your coop? 
And I'm like, what the heck is a coop? <laughs> and it, it's a continuity of operations plan. So you actually write down how you're going to continue your work in the short term and long term based on maybe three different scenarios that might happen. Right. And that coop, although I've never used that term either, but how cool is it? That coop should include really, really simple things. Like how am I going to communicate with our fellow staff or board members? You know, in in our organization's case, all communications were down for eight days. And, you know, we resorted to like notes pinned up to a post (laughs) um, at the door of the building saying, okay, you know, everyone's safe, like all sorts of very, very basic things. So that that planning is not just is the 990 last year's 990 in a safe place but it's also how are we going to communicate with each other how are we going to communicate externally right because other people are going to be worried about your organization and how are you faring can we help and so you want a person or a group assigned to okay they're going to be thinking about external communications another group or person is going to be thinking about internal communications and I would also, you know, just really emphasize that in that plan, noting who's going to do what really matters because then people don't have to think they just do They're Oh, right. I'm, I'm the internal communications person. I'm going to get on that great way to ease stress. This is another example where we, we need to underscore that there's no one size fits all. So for example, Sarah works with an environmental group that could uh, suspend activity for a month and it would be okay. I work with food banks for whom a disaster is a call to serve. So they have to step up operations in the time of a disaster. So so again, you need to figure out what your mission is, what your purpose is, and that will determine how you need to plan for this continuity of operations. Absolutely. And getting there, I think, takes your whole team. So it may be that there's a small subgroup or one person, even if you're a really small organization, who takes this on as like, okay, I want to think through this plan for us. But then you have to invite in anyone who's going to have a role in it (laughs) to be thinking about, okay, here's a hiccup that wouldn't work in this case, or here's how it would work. And by bringing in everyone who's going to have a role in implementing it, you also provide that ownership for them. And also it helps to have seen it and heard it and talked through it once before it really happens. Mm. We talk about change and there's that triangle that I love to talk about. You have your goal up, up at the top and you have reflection. How does this relate to me and the team? How do we hold each other accountable? So we started at the beginning about talking with that dispersed responsibility, like who's in charge? Really clarifying who is on the team and holding each other accountable is a great way to to flip that. And you don't have dispersed account responsibility, you have shared responsibility. The last idea we have here is really to define small doable steps, that it is overwhelming. If I say create a disaster plan, you'll say, whoa, that's so much. I've got a lot going on. I'm, I'm going to pass on that right now. We'll put it on next month's agenda. <laughs> right. So make it small, make it doable, make it as small as you have to, to take one step forward. And that will help. That'll help to make it a habit, put it on your agendas for your staff, your board, your volunteers, whatever, and just start having conversations about it so that it becomes the 
part of the life of your organization. Exactly. And like the best way I know to do that is to just take a moment, take 10 minutes one day, maybe after listening to this show and just write down everything you'd want in your plan, just the con, not the content, but the topics, right? Like I'd want to know how we're going to handle making sure everyone's safe. I want to know how we're going to handle keeping our programs running or not keeping our programs running. I want to know, right? Just those topical areas. And then all you have to do is pick one and work on it. And then, okay, that we got that part of the plan figured out. And then next month or next quarter or whatever your time frame is that allows you, we'll work on the next one. And all of a sudden, if you keep plugging away at it, right, you eventually end up with a plan. Absolutely. I remember hearing from one food bank leader and I asked him, why do you have such a great plan worked out? And he said, every time I see a news story about a disaster, I go back to my disaster plan and I chip away one more thing because I read about whether it's a wildfire in Eastern Washington or a flooding episode in Indonesia. I think that could be me and I've got to get ready. I thought that was a great thought. That is brilliant. (laughs) And on that note, Nancy, what's our word of the week? Great question. I think it's anticipate. I think anticipate captures two things for me, and that is to think in advance. So you anticipate something that's, that's impending, but it also has this notion of to look forward to. And none of us are looking forward to a disaster, but I certainly could imagine if we get our ducks in a row now, we get things figured out now, we do that scenario planning now, that there will be some pride in our organization after the disaster strikes that we didn't lose everything, that we we can keep achieving our mission. And so that's a, a positive emotion that reaffirms we did the right thing by creating this disaster plan. Mm, excellent. And what I think about when I think about anticipate is that it doesn't mean I'm not going to be surprised, right? So I can anticipate what might happen and it will never be exactly what happens. So I may still have to deal with that emotion of surprise or, oh, that came out of left field. You know, a disaster plan is not going to remove all of that. But by anticipating it, by writing it down, by having thought through different scenarios, I'm less panicked when I am surprised. Oh, we know how to, we can easily adapt to that. We've thought through most of these pieces. And for most people who run nonprofit organizations, minimizing that feeling of surprise is a really good thing. I would say so. We've had a little too much surprise this past year. Let's let's chill out on the surprise factor. <laughs> you know, one of the realities of climate change is the increasing number of disasters that will impact our organizations. We hope that this conversation gives you a start in your thinking about disaster planning and how to take steps forward. We'll put some links in the resources in in the show notes so you have some access to great resources. Stay safe, everyone. Your work really matters. You got this. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Mep Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities.